0: We now have the opportunity to open Scripture together. We'll be reading from the first chapter of Philippians, found on page 1825 in your blue pew Bibles. And we'll start at the third verse. I thank my God to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Brian.
1: So in our, our, our discipleship, there's really really three things that, that happen as we learn to follow Jesus Christ together. Uh, one is we learn content about God. It's, it's sometimes referred to as as head knowledge. We, we need to know things about God. And there is also another aspect that, that kind of gets at our heart, at, at what's our attitude, our desires, our, our feelings about God and toward God, our, our kind of, sometimes it's called piety, our devotion to God. And, and then there's a, another place that, that's really about our hands and our feet, how we go out and serve. Uh, serve others because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And, and most of the time in the Reformed tradition that we're a part of, we're, we're pretty comfortable over here in this head knowledge space. We like to, to talk about the deep theology and the, the learning that the church has done over the centuries and, and we get into all sorts of big theological debates and we love to live in this space. This text doesn't ignore that space, but it doesn't spend a lot of time there. Most of this text is on heart, and it bleeds into the way we live with each other, the actions we do. And so we're going to spend time over here, and and for some of us, there may be places where it feels kind of touchy-feely, and that's okay. It's actually part of how God has made us. And in light of the resurrection and God making all things new, even our hearts and our feelings and our affections need to be renewed in Christ. So this morning as we journey through this text, recognize that we're spending time in this heart and action type of space. And not so much in the head theology type of space. good? All right. So the question as we start today, how do we live in response to Jesus' resurrection? I mean, that's essentially what Paul works out in all of his letters. All of his letters are, are a response to what does it look like for us as God's people to live in response to the fact that Christ died and Christ rose again. How do we live? Well, as we journey through this, this question's going to be with us. How do we live in response to Jesus' resurrection? This passage anchors that response within the life of God's people as they grow into the character of Jesus Christ together. So part of what Paul's doing throughout this whole letter, and it's way more than what we're going to be able to dig into today, is affirm again and again and again and again, it's all of you together as you live together as God's people. And that comes as a challenge to the way we tend to view Christianity in North America. We talk about it as as myself and my relationship with God and my individual disciplines and here are the practices I keep and it's my spirituality. And we focus on ourselves. But Paul's letter throughout this is to draw us into a bigger story and a bigger understanding where our relationship with God, we grow in the character of Christ as we grow in relationship with each other. It's something we do together. The Christian faith is a journey not of individuals, but of a people who are being made new together in Jesus Christ. So we'll look at this in three ways, three parts to this text. The first is giving thanks, the second is. It's a matter of a, of the heart that comes out, and the final is a prayer, giving thanks. Verses three to six. This has in it that that one verse that gets quoted on all sorts of greeting cards and and cards that you give to people when you're thinking of them, expressing sympathy. It's it's I I'm confident that my that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Until the day of Jesus Christ. Usually the cards don't have until the day of Jesus Christ. They just say, my God will be faithful to complete the work he began in you. And it's meant to encourage us. And that's true. Paul's using it here as true. uh, A true statement. But there's even much more to that of what's going on. The context of this letter Paul's writing this letter and it's important for us to hear the context to really understand what's happening and, and, and how Paul's going after the heart of the people uh, they're dealing with suffering and persecution Paul himself is actually in jail at this time he's writing from a jail in Rome uh, and he's, he's writing to people when he himself is under the threat of death you hear Paul wrestling in this letter saying it's probably better for me to die at this point but I know it's good for you if I remain alive. So I'm essentially praying God keeps me around and keeps me alive even though I'm at the end of my road. I've given everything I have to give. I've been poured out as a drink offering. Those are all phrases from this letter. Paul recognizing that the end of his life is coming. And this church that he planted is living in a bit of, of, of a, a time of heightened persecution Uh, that's happening. It's certainly social at this point. We're not quite sure if if the Philippian church was experiencing physical persecution uh, quite yet, but they were experiencing the social kind of persecution and being ostracized because they were followers of Jesus. And on top of that, their pastor, Epaphroditus, they had sent him with a gift to Paul. They wanted to express, we're with you, Paul, while you're in jail. And so they sent him, but somewhere along the way, he got sick. And he almost died. So their pastor's almost died. Paul, their founding pastor, is in jail facing death. And they're starting to feel physical persecution. Imagine what's going on in their hearts. Hey, Jesus, it's about time you show up. Can you come fix this situation? Can you get us out of this mess? We've been dealing with this for quite a while. I mean, it's one thing Paul's in jail and Epaphroditus, but we're feeling it. We're feeling it at home, and this, this doesn't feel very good. In fact, it feels like you're kind of absent right now. We're wondering what you're up to, God. Where are you? Because the circumstances of our life aren't quite showing that you're with us right now. midst of those circumstances in the midst of what's happening in this church Paul starts off this letter with a word it's a word in the Greek that that does come out a little bit in our culture it's eucharist he starts out with this posture of prayer and, and eucharist is the way that they would start letters in that time period and they would, they would say eucharist for and it was a way of saying I give thanks for, or I rejoice over the fact that, or it it was some way of expressing this incredible joy and gratitude. And if you think about the whole of this letter, Paul, three or four different times along the way, says, I rejoice, I rejoice, and I tell you, once again, rejoice. He comes back to this idea of joy and thanksgiving all the way through the letter isn't that a striking posture for Paul's heart as he starts this, given the context that he's writing in? Paul literally was probably in chains at this point as he's writing the letter. Chains on his feet or chains on his arms as he's writing the letter. And he's going, I'm joyful. I'm giving thanks. My heart's full of gratitude for you. I'm overjoyed. It's an amazing contrast, isn't it? this heart posture that Paul's modeling for them and inviting them into. It's for God's people and their partnership in the good news. He says, I'm overjoyed because you've been my partners all along. We've been in this story of the good news of Jesus Christ for a long time together. And through thick or thin, we've been together. And I'm giving God thanks for you. How different than the circumstances we often find ourselves in. If circumstances are difficult for us, the one difficult thing to do is to give thanks. We usually want to grumble. We usually want to come home and tell about everything that went wrong at work that day, or, or everything that's gone wrong with the car over the last week, or everything that's gone wrong in the emails with our family that were supposed to straighten things out and only made things worse. We want to talk about all that seems to be going wrong. And if anyone had a reason to talk about everything that was going wrong, it was Paul and the Philippian church. And instead, Paul says, I give thanks. I give thanks for you. We get to that verse. I'm confident of this, that the one who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul, in some sense, touches on theology here a little bit. He's saying there's a long span of our growth in Jesus Christ and God is at work in it. From the time we started interacting way back when, until Jesus Christ returns, whenever that will be, God is at work But he takes that theology and he roots it in the heart. And he says, I'm confident of this. God is faithful, people. I I can give thanks because even in the midst of circumstances that don't make sense to us, I know that God is faithful. Thanksgiving, Paul's attitude, his heart here, is rooted not in what he's experiencing in life, but in this underlying reality that God is faithful. What we just did here with Rena and, and putting the water on her is in some sense saying that same thing. It's saying, Renna, even though life is, is going to throw challenges at you, even though there's going to be circumstances you never expected coming your way, even though you're going to experience pain and heartbreak along the way, we know that in all these things, God is faithful. That's the testimony of God's people. We are a people who testify in good circumstances and bad about God's faithfulness. And this last sentence, this good work sentence, that God will be faithful to complete the work he's begun on us, is one that is spoken not in a a euphoric state, one that is set in the midst of trial and struggle when things don't make sense. That even here, even when Paul's in jail, even when Epaphroditus has been sick and near death, even when the people themselves are starting to experience persecution, Paul can say with full-hearted confidence, even here, God is faithful. So an invitation for us an invitation. It's an invitation for us as we encounter this word to adopt a posture of thanksgiving to God for each other in the midst of whatever circumstances we have. We've got a budget conversation that will be coming up in a few months. Where do we go as a church? How do we afford to do the things we feel God calling us to do? What are we going to not fund this year and put off another year? What are we going to embrace? Those are tough conversations. I know some of us are connected to Redeemer University, which is asking a lot of those questions now, too. How do we be faithful as God's people in this institution? How do we we manage through these circumstances? And this text, what it's calling us to do is to be a people who are giving thanks. Thanks for each other. Thanks for the opportunity God's given us to be together in the midst of these circumstances. Not because we can make it all work together, but because God is faithful. That's who God is. It's his character coming out. And the question for us, a question along with this opening section is, do I recognize God's ongoing faithfulness in the midst of my or our circumstances? To think of the folks who are on the Emmaus Road as they're heading in uh, away from Jerusalem and their hearts are heavy and they, they can't figure out what's going on and, and they don't recognize Jesus for who he is even though he's walking with them and explaining scripture to them and, and there's this, this burning in their hearts. God's doing something here. Even though I don't clearly see what God's up to, I I hear his word. I recognize who God is. I recognize what he's been doing from the beginning of scripture until now. God is at work making things new in Jesus Christ and there's something right about that. Will we have eyes to see Jesus in the midst of our circumstances? Will we recognize God's ongoing faithfulness? Paul kind of takes a break here. There's actually, if, if we got really academic this morning, I would break down for you the seven parts of a, a Roman letter. And Paul's following all seven parts in this passage, except for these two verses, which he inserts in the middle of this, this whole paradigm. And, and these two verses, he goes after the heart. I'm going to read them a minute, just to, to give us a, a, a bit of the flavor here. Listen to all the feeling, touchy-feely stuff here. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. Whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. There's a lot in there. And Paul's going after the heart in a way he normally doesn't. Normally he goes after our thinking and our minds and and here he just pauses all the stuff he's doing he says folks let's get real let's look at our relationship together let's let's take take one of those moments where we define the relationship and he talks about it it's thanksgiving and joy in our hearts about each other it's it's this overflowing sense of of delight and excitement this the sharing in God's grace together he's kind of trying in a shorthand way to to, to very much say, folks, let me give you an anniversary card. Let me tell you all the ways that, that we've loved each other and walked with each other along the way. Let me, let me, let me just tell you how I feel about you. seems kind of odd because normally we, we want to think about the theology and what's true and what's right. And Paul says, people, remember we love each other Remember that we've actually shared God's grace together. Interesting part, God's grace. The word for grace is also found in the middle of the word for Eucharist. It's the word charis. It's this overflowing joy, this delight, this pleasure. God's grace, his delight and pleasure. That's actually what binds us together. Think about that for a moment. What binds us together is not that we agree on politics. I'm an American. I have to remind my friends of this all the time right now. It's not that we agree or disagree about politics. That's not what unites us. It's not our ethnic heritage that unites us. It's not our, our cultural positioning, whether we're Gen X or Gen Y or, or whatever is going to come after that. It's not that we've been through immigration or not. It's not that we've educated or not. It's not what jobs we hold or not. It's none of that stuff is what binds us together. It is this common experience we have of having received and shared together the grace of Jesus Christ. That's what unites us. That's what brings us together. That's where we find this common ground where we can delight in each other's presence because we can say to each other, I've experienced God's grace. How about you? Tell me the story of what God's done in your life because I want to hear it because I want to hear more about who this Jesus is and what he's at work doing in the world. Tell me. Share with me. Let me share with you. That's what unites us. So when we walk out of here on Sunday morning and we start talking about the weather and the snowstorm that's supposed to come later today right? or we talk about the basketball game that's going to happen tomorrow night that's all fine and good we can share those affinities with each other but really part of what we ought to be doing is saying to each other So what's God been up to in your life lately how are you experiencing the grace of Christ because I need to hear an encouraging word today And to share with each other this common experience of the grace of Christ. Paul adds adds into this this language of the affection of Christ Jesus. It's one of the few times that that word that phrasing is actually put together in Scripture, and it, it literally means with the intestines of Christ Jesus. How's that for a greeting card? I love you with the intestines of Jesus Christ. In that culture, we may, we, we may say it's with our heart, but in that culture, if they felt something deeply, they say, I feel it in my gut, in my bowels. It moves me. That's the type of th- idea there. I know, a little gross. But it's supposed to be something that so gets inside us that we can't sit still. We have this deep love for each other that we say, Brian, I hear you going through stuff. I I just want to come and sit with you for a bit. And we we come over and and we sit with each other and tell me what's going on, man. And, And some youth group leaders, not our youth group leaders, but some youth group leaders are now saying, we love on each other. All right? It's, I know, you love that phrase, don't you, Brian? We've, we've actually talked about that phrase before, so I, I gave that for his benefit. But it's this sense of, of being so in community with each other that if we hear something going on with another person, we drop everything and we say, I've got to be there for them. And Paul, if you read this letter, even while he's saying, I know I'm going to die soon, he's also saying, I long to be with you and I long to show up and I long to be there and just just to be with you. Imagine if that was guiding us as a church. If that sense of of being aware of God's love had so permeated us that we look at one another and say, I need to show up and be there with you in the midst of this. I want to be there for you. Whether it's a phone call, whether it's a a drop-by visit, unexpected meal or gift, or if it's, hey, hey, I know it's been a long stretch for you and your spouse to get out. Let us take the kids. Get out of here for a bit. Spend some time together. Whether it's, it's dropping off a Tim's card anonymously in the mailbox over here for somebody, or it's, it's finding some tangible ways that we can be present with each other and express to one another, I love you, and I'm with you, because Christ is with us. And we've shared this grace together. And because we've shared this grace together, we're in it together no matter what we're going through. Taking the time to notice what each other's going through, to feel it in our guts. This is what my friend, my neighbor, my fellow church member is going through. And because they're going through it, I'm going through it too. So an invitation to give thanks for to find joy in, and even to share God's grace with each other. Some of us do it through small groups, some of us do it in other ways, but, but the, the rhythm here is to enter into community with each other, to share life with each other. Church and being part of Christ's body is not just about this on Sunday morning. In fact, this is a small part. This should be the tip of the iceberg Of us doing life together, learning to live together, to be in each other's homes, to share meals with each other, to connect. So, the question, and this one's a little bit harder, will we adjust our ways of life so that we can share in God's grace together? It's so easy to say, I'm busy, my schedule's full. I don't have time. And we come up with all these reasons of of reasons we can't connect with one another, we can't make room, there's just no more space. We take a look at our schedules and how we pace ourselves so that we have time and room for each other to experience and share together this grace of Jesus Christ. A prayer. Paul offers a prayer at the end here. And his prayer is this, that your love may abound more and more. That your love may abound more and more. In, in some sense you could say, may your love be ever increasing. Notice here, his whole conversation has not been about our love for God. In response to the resurrection, may your love for each other be ever increasing. Increasing. May you abound more and more in this love for each other. And, and it's essentially saying this is God's character. He's, he's reflecting to, to passages that are all through the Old Testament. Seven or eight times in the Old Testament, it has this phrase God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. In fact, when Moses says, God, show me who you are. Not at the burning bush, but a little while later, as he's tired and weary from leading the people. He says, Show me who you are. And God passes by him. And the words God says, I am the Lord who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. This is God's own character. And Paul's saying, In light of the resurrection, my prayer is that you would participate more fully in God's character that God's character would become your character, that you would have God's heart, and that that would be shown by the way you continue to increase in love for each other. He uses a word here, epigenosis, for knowledge. Gnosis is the typical word for knowledge in Greek, and that that means knowledge about things, facts. This is the data. But epigenosis... It's an intensifying of that. It's not just knowledge about. It's knowledge of through relationship. It's a relational knowledge. Sometimes it gets talked about in a a marriage context to say, the difference is, I could tell you all about Henny Schoon. Right? And I could tell you all these facts about her, but if I'm not spending time with her, and I'm not in relationship with her, growing with my wife something's wrong. Epigenosis is that relational knowledge of being present with each other over time. It's that getting to know each other, not just about each other. And Paul's saying, this is what it's like. I want you to grow in this grace and knowledge, not just about each other, not just know the gossipy facts about each other's life. I want you to really know each other. To get to know each other. And he adds depth of insight. And the phrase there really harks back the place in the Old Testament that same idea is used. is all through Proverbs. And it, it is the idea of wisdom. And it's a practical wisdom. Not a head knowledge wisdom. But a servant heart wisdom. How do we actually live together? How do we do life together? So Paul is saying, I, I want you to have this deep affection and love for each other that comes out in relationship and I'm going to pray that you learn how to do that practically. That you learn how to live together practically. So the purpose. The purpose of all this? You're going to be able to discern God's will together when you love each other well. You're going to be able to be kept pure and blameless, it says. It's a putting two words together to give one idea pure and blameless at the coming of Christ Jesus when you learn to love each other well. You'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Christ Jesus. So when you do this, when you are abounding in love more and more for each other because of God's resurre- Jesus' resurrection, you're going to become more like Christ and your life is going to overflow just like his did. Paul realizes he didn't give much attention to that in these verses so he picks it up in chapter 2 it's a familiar passage but let me just read it therefore if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ and if any comfort from his love if any common sharing in the spirit if any tenderness and compassion do you hear how he's framing that all? If the resurrection, if you are united in resurrection, if you share in the spirit, if you share in this life of God's grace together, then this. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same mind, being one in spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationship with one another, we are invited to develop the character of Christ. To grow in this grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ in the way we love one another. That our relationships with each other would overflow with the fullness of God's grace. So an invitation. The great part here is Paul doesn't say start doing this because you're not letter says, you're already doing it. Do it more and more. More and more to continue putting the character of Jesus Christ into practice and our relationships with each other. Make that our goal. Not how are we going to get along. How are we going to persuade each other to agree with us? How are we going to make sure that other people do what we want them to do? How are we going to grow together in this character of Jesus Christ? And the question... How will Jesus' life, the fruit of righteousness that is his given to us, how will that grow in us? It really is our driving question. In response to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, how are we going to grow this life of Christ? Sunday's not enough. Sermon's already going long. And it's not enough time. It's not enough space to dig into all that is going on here. All of this call, in fact, we need our whole lives to do it. Tom Hageman, who's 97, still has growing in Christ. Renna Shat still has growing in Christ. All of us have growing in Christ our whole lives long. And it's not just here, but it's, it's in every area of life. Called to become disciples throughout our whole lives in all the circumstances we face, that together the love of Christ might abound in us more and more. Let's pray. Lord, may you go after our hearts our desires, our fears, our worries, our hopes, our dreams, until they all conform to your Son, Jesus Christ. May you grow in us his character and his heart that we might abound in love for one another, that your grace might be shared so freely among us that others around us go, what is going on? because they see something so good and so different from what they've experienced elsewhere. May you renew us, Lord, in your love. That your love may live fully within us. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.